0: What I want to do is provide a brief foundation for the invitation that Marty gave to you all to find Christ adequate in suffering, because he is adequate, and the Bible is replete with granite, solid foundations on which to stand in believing that adequacy. I want to take one passage of Scripture, and read it to you, and make some brief comments about it, and then bring to the pulpit one more living illustration of grace for your encouragement before we close. The passage of Scripture I'm going to read comes from the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, and I see some of you reaching for a Bible, so that's fine. If you want to look along, it's Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14, 15, And sixteen. It goes like this. Since we have a great high priest, Jesus, the son of God, who has passed through the heavens or gone into heaven, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tested as we are, and yet without sin. Therefore, and here's the invitation that Marty has experienced, many of us have experienced. Therefore, Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want to present Jesus to you this morning as a very sympathetic go-between for you and God. I'm going to use the phrase go-between because hardly anybody uses the phrase high priest anymore. That comes out of the Old Testament. I'm going to call Jesus a go-between. A great, sympathetic, powerful, need-meeting go-between. And that's the way I want to present him to you this morning. I want you to sense that Jesus stands ready, alive, risen from the dead, with God in heaven, ready to serve you as an advocate with the Father. And the go-between. So that when you enter into heaven, as it were, by prayer, seeking need at the throne of God, you don't find the throne to be a frowning throne, a rejecting throne, a judging throne, but you find the very throne of God to be, as this text describes it, a throne of grace. Because of an awesome go-between that we have. And then... If by God's grace you find Christ to be an adequate, powerful, sympathetic go-between, and therefore through Him you find the throne of God to be the throne of grace to meet your need, then you may understand why I titled this message, Thanksgiving in Suffering. That it is possible always to give thanks, even in the midst of tragedy. Now, as soon as I say this, namely that Christ is a, a go-between for you and God, there rises up in the back of my mind this danger signal. You might be giving a very false picture to these people about the situation you're describing. You might be suggesting to them or painting a picture for them in which God the Father is the bad guy, we're the victims of God, the bad guy. Jesus is the good guy. He intrudes himself quickly in between the bad guy and the victims, like a uh, a level-headed son who sees a father become furious and irate, and a little child cowering in the corner, he grabs the father and says, Cool it, Dad! Just cool it! Now, what a picture that would be of Jesus rescuing us from the Father. So I, I sense, even as, as I describe Christ as a go-between, I might create the impression, wow, what kind of a God is He rescuing us from? Then? Why the need for this go-between? Now let me describe three things wrong with that image of the son grabbing the father and the child cowering as a victim in the corner, let me describe three things that are wrong with that picture. Number one, we are not victims of God. We are sinners against God. All of us, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're sinners. The easiest way to grasp what that biblical truth means is to just measure yourself by your own conscience. I don't think there's a person in this room who would say, I have always lived up to my conscience perfectly. I've never been indicted by my own standards. I don't think there's any of you that would say that. And if we have not even measured up to our own standards, How much farther short have we must have fallen from God's standards, who created the conscience? And so the first thing wrong with that image is we're not innocent victims of God cowering in the corner. We are sinners. We've assaulted God. We've rejected God. We've scorned God. We've ignored God. That's the first thing that's wrong. Here's the second thing. Jesus did not intrude himself between us and God. God put Jesus between us and himself. That changes everything. It changes everything when you remember the great old verse that many learned in Sunday school, John 3.16. For God, the Father... So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The son didn't jump in and grab God and say, it, God leave these poor human victims alone with your judgment? It's not the way it happened. The way it happened was that God the father looked down, saw sinners in rebellion against him and gave his son. In order that whoever believes on him might not perish, but have everlasting life. God created the go-between idea. God thought it up. Jesus didn't think it up. God thought it up and said, son, how about you? My only divine son, would you be the go-between so that I can rescue these rebels? He said yes. Now, the third thing wrong with that image is that God doesn't lose his cool. He never loses his cool.
1: God is not impulsive or
0: rash or reckless. He's very level-headed. He is uh, perfect in his righteousness. He is uh, unimpeachable in his justice. He has complete, thorough integrity. He upholds the law, good, bad, right, wrong, utterly impartially. No hidden agendas, no skeletons to be brought out in the last week of debate before the election. Just complete, straight out, utter integrity on God's Heart. No skeletons in the closet, no shady deals, no brides. And that's why we need a go-between. God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all, the Bible says. My image is like this without a go-between. God is like a fire. The Bible calls Him fire sometimes. It's like a fire of righteousness and justice and goodness and truth and beauty, and he blazes ten million times brighter than the sun. And I, as a sinner, am like a dark, dead, broken stick. And if I begin to approach this fire, there is only one destiny for me. I go poof in the fire of God's glory and righteousness. God knows that. He can't stop being the glorious, perfect, pure God that He is. And yet, He wills to save sticks who are so imperfect and so incendiary and flammable. And so, He, uh, He puts a go-between in His Son and He sends Him To be our mediator. Jesus comes. He lives a perfect life, this text says. He never sinned. And yet he was killed. The most painful death that's ever been devised by man. By being hung on a cross. Left to bleed and suffer there until he suffocates because he can't push himself up anymore. And he dies. And he rises from the dead. So that God would vindicate the saving power of his death for sinners. He didn't die because he deserved to die. He died because I deserved to die. And then he says, nobody comes to the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the one go-between in all the universe, Jesus Christ. And that's what the Bible says repeatedly. Peter said, Christ died for sins. Once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. There's the go-between idea. Paul put it like this. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Without Jesus, there's only alienation from God. We're way over here, ready to be burned up because we're so dry and dead and broken. And he's over here flaming in fire of beauty. And purity and righteousness and holiness and glory, and Paul says, by the death of Jesus, here in the middle, we are reconciled to God. This little stick is given. The uh, the, though there are different ways to think about this. I thought, well, should I say I was wrapped in the asbestos of Jesus? That's good. That's biblical. I was wrapped in the asbestos of Jesus' righteousness, but it's not enough. It's not the whole story. No no analogy ever is enough, is it, when you go into the Bible talking about God. A a better one, or just to add on, is when Jesus died, life flowed into that stick. It got real green. It got real living. It got wet. And it just oozes with living sap and it's starting to go strong. And it's the kind of wood that when it moves right into this fire, it grows, it flourishes, it reflects, it reverberates. Something like that, some kind of miracle transformation happens when you are attached to Jesus who dies for sinners. This is the only way. So the picture you have here in this text is that Jesus takes on my pain. He takes on my uh, weakness. He is tempted or tested in every point like I am, and yet sinless. And since he's sinless, he's a perfect go-between. And since he's tempted, he's a sympathetic go-between. And then that leads to the beautiful truth that Marty opened up for us, namely this awesome invitation that that the Bible God Almighty holds out to us this morning. He says, "Therefore, let us, with confidence in this go-between, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need." You see, when you become a Christian, um, you you start with forgiveness and reconciliation. But it's not as though Jesus then, having reconciled you to God, having caused you to be accepted with the Father, having made you green, He says, okay, see you later. I'm gone back to heaven. See you in heaven when you get there. You're on your own. It's not the Christian way. Sort of get started with God and then He leads. The truth is that He's there every day. As a go-between, a sympathetic go-between, opening the throne of God and turning it into a throne of grace. And uh, I want you to, especially you guests, to know that those of us at Bethlehem don't have a kind of uh, idealistic view of life that says, well, if you get right with God, then everything goes right. That's the reason we asked Marty to talk. That's the reason I'm going to call another person up here in just a minute. We Christians experience all the pain, all the suffering, all the disappointments, all the tragedies that everybody else does with two changes. Two wonderful changes. Number one, we know the end of the story. We're going to heaven And we count the sufferings of this life as not worthy to be compared to the glory to be revealed hereafter. And the second one is, whatever God allows to come into our life in his sovereign goodness and wisdom, he's there to help. Always there to help. Sometimes the disease may be healed. Sometimes it may not be healed. Sometimes the blade may only hit the knee. One of these days, the blade will hit the neck. God will not cease to be God. Christians will not give up their faith. God will be there. God will work everything together for good for those who love Him. So our conception of God is that He is there in our suffering, with us. That's the meaning of Jesus coming down and dying. It's a glorious thing to have a great go-between. I'm going to invite uh, Sandra Tarlin to come with me here. Sandra was at a prayer meeting Friday morning with us, and uh, stand right here with me. And uh, when she walked out, she gave me three sheets of kind of a summary of her life. We had talked through this before, and she has a ministry the Lord has given her in recent years to uh, share God's grace in her life, and uh, we're going to hear more about that in months to come. I read through this as I was preparing my sermon, and I said, you know, I could find a lot of good illustrations of what I'm saying from books and missionaries, and and uh, I could use I could use paper illustrations, but we got so many illustrations of grace in this church. Why don't I just get some real live ones? up here, like Marty and now Sandra Harlan. Now, I'm going to read one page from that sheet, and then I'm going to ask her a couple of questions. And I told her, I'm not going to tell you the questions, so she doesn't know what I'm going to ask her. So this is cold turkey for Sandra. But now, this is heavy. This is real heavy, all right? And not easy for her to do this, and I believe it's an evidence of God's grace in her life. Here's here's the page that I'll read. My major crisis started when I was four years old. I was burned in a gasoline fire. little boy threw a can of gasoline into a fire, and I was standing on the other side. The gas went through the fire into my face, and the flames followed. My face suffered first, second, and third degree burns. These burns left ugly, disfiguring scars. When I started school, it was very Difficult. I felt different from the rest of the children and a lot of them were very cruel to me. I didn't like school much, but I didn't like summers either because that always meant I would have to have another surgery on my face. My father became an alcoholic and the word love or any action of love was not heard or seen in my family that I can remember. An old man who lived next door to us was always very nice and would buy or make things for us, but there was a price to pay for gifts. He fondled and molested me repeatedly. One night when I was 13 years old, I was walking home from the show and a gang of young men picked me up and raped me. Although these things caused me to feel dirty and empty inside, they also gave me the feeling that at least somebody wanted me for something. I began to feel a lot of loneliness with sexual relationships. My heart began to get hard and bitter and full of hate. And the hate began to eat at me from the inside out. I became anorexic and then bulimic. I had chronic migraine headaches, ulcers, a hysterectomy, and other major surgeries. I was in and out of the doctor's offices, constantly looking for a remedy. I experimented with alcohol and drugs and a couple of times even suicide. By the time I was 17, I already had two children. By the time I was 25, I had been married four times. Life seemed pretty hopeless. I knew there had to be more to life than what I was living. In search for that, I went with my best friend, Sherry, to a victorious Christian living conference. There I heard David Ritzenthaler talk about Godship. He explained how much God loved me, even to send his own son to die for me and save me from my sins. I knew that this God David was talking about was not the God in my life, and I desperately wanted to know him. Five days after hearing this, I called David, and I went to his office, and he shared with me the four spiritual laws. And that night, March 12, 1982, at 7.30 p.m., I prayed and confessed that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. I invited Jesus into my heart to be Lord of my life. And at that very moment, God gave me new life. Now, that's the beginning. There were 11 more surgeries since 1982, bringing the total to how many? 32 32 surgeries since the little girl got the gasoline in her face. Now, I want to read a sentence here, Sandra, which seems almost unbelievable to me, and then have you explain it to the people maybe. Um, She talks about surgeries on the outside and surgeries on the inside, as you can well imagine, and the scar tissue left there. And then she wrote, he gave me new dreams as I continued to seek him. Today, after all those surgeries, I can honestly say with a joyful heart that I am thankful for the experiences I've gained as a result of them all. Now, I have two questions. um, I think they'd be the questions they would have. Question number one is, just tell us, explain that to us. In what way are you thankful as you look back over this life of 32 surgeries, Um, abuse, rape, um, four (coughs) tragic marriages, etc. Tell us what you mean by that. And then Just say a word to these people out here who have been through all those things. What what is just welling up in your heart to say about Jesus to them? Uh, You only have a minute or two. (laughs) We will let her have a whole evening service early next year, but right now, just one or two minutes.
1: Number one, I'd have to say the thankfulness of my heart is um, two things brother who saved my life from the fire and Jesus who saved my life eternally. Um, The thankfulness in my heart is, is that I wouldn't be here. Neither one of those were here. And Jesus is here. And he lives in my heart and he's present in there. And through that, I have had the strength to go through a series of forgiveness that I continue to go through to forgive others. And through that forgiveness, I'm able to share with others what I've gone through, and it has helped to strengthen them too. I know I wouldn't be standing here today if friends and people like you didn't pray and didn't have faith and trust in God and in Christ To save a sinner like myself. My encouragement to you is is that there's nothing in this world that you can go through that Jesus can't save you from. He is the go-between. He's the only go-between. I've tried them all and it doesn't work. I just pray that if there's anyone here that has the slightest inkling in their heart needs a Savior, but they'll choose Jesus.
0: I know that our hearts are, are really full of gratitude for what he's done in Sandra's life. Now, here's the way we're going to close the service. I'm done. It's. I hope it's clear that the point of, of Marty's testimony, Sandra's testimony, my message is that uh, Jesus is a great... Sympathetic, powerful, go-between with God, who can not only help you get started in forgiveness and reconciliation, but then can keep going and work with you in the process of becoming more and more like Him until at the last day we're perfected. He is available. And uh, here's two things we're going to do at the end of the service. When I'm done here, we're going to sing quiet songs for about ten minutes. And during that time of singing, you have a card in your uh, worship folder that looks like this. And I hope that uh, you'll all pray and just ask God, well, what are you saying to me today? Where am I in my journey? And, and fill this out and communicate with us in any way that we can be of help to you. When the singing time is done, I will invite the ushers to come and we'll take these up. You pass them upside down to the aisle when you're done with them. And we'll take them up. And then we're going to sing uh, one closing song, After I Pray. And now here's something very important. We've never done this before, but we felt really strongly constrained to do it with this particular theme and message. When when we're all done and you start to leave, we have about 25 people who uh, have a little badge like this called Prayer Ministry Team. They're going to be probably maybe 10 of them down here. They're going to be up in those corners right there and right over there. They're going to be in Nazareth Hall at the front where the screen is. And they're just going to stand there because they would like to pray with people. And that's just about everything. If you have a physical thing you're dealing with that you'd like prayer for, that you think God might take away or ease, they love to pray about physical things. If it's an emotional thing that you're dealing with, Long time or short term, they love to pray about that. If it's relational, they love to pray about that. If it's spiritual, they love to pray about that. They're just going to stand there and if if you come, they'll pray with you. And if you uh, don't approach them, then they'll go home too. I'll put on one and sort of mosey around and see if anybody wants to pray with me. The point is, we just want to be a family, a kind of folding in and making... Real, this wonderful promise. Therefore, let us confidently draw near to the throne of grace. That's what we do in prayer. That we may find grace, mercy to help in time of need. Let's just pray briefly before we begin to sing. Father, I commit the last ten minutes now of this service to you. And ask that as we sing quietly and deal with you and what you're saying to us, your power and Holy Spirit would come and move us and guide us. I commend this people to you for your grace to minister among us. Come, Holy Spirit, I pray, and minister in saving, healing, comforting, need-meeting power in this moment. In Jesus' name.